0: Welcome to the Non-Breaking Space Show from Austin, Texas. I'm the internet's Christopher Schmidt. And on today's show, we welcome back Dan Mall. Dan is the director of Super Friendly, Design Collaborative, and also author of the new book, Pricing Design, published by A Book Apart. Before we get started, some things I'd like you to know. Make plans for CSS DevConf 2017. Grab your tickets now and learn from Chris Coyier, Wes Boss, Markham, Harry Roberts, Estelle Weil, and many, many more in New Orleans. Tickets are on sale right now at cssdevconf.com. The UX Design Newsletter is a weekly list of articles, tutorials, and inspiration handpicked by yours truly. Sign up at uxdesignnewsletter.com and have the best links of the week sent to your in- inbox. Speaking of email, set it and forget it with the Non-Breaking Space Show Newsletter, so whenever a new episode of ours is ready, be notified directly in your inbox when you sign up at newsletter.nonbrickingspace.tv. Also, notes and links discussed in today's episode can be found at nonbreakingspace.tv. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at teleject, T-E-L-E-J-E-C-T. As always, thank you for telling others about what you learned on Space. Now, on today's show... Well, I, also, I just want to catch up. like, like we've been up to since we last talked. Like, uh, Superfriends is the name of the company, right? Super friendly. Super friendly. Still going strong.
1: Still going very strong. Uh, okay. So far, so good. Knock on wood. Okay. Uh, so that's going well. Uh, I started a, working on a product called Superbooked. Um, that's going well.
0: Uh, what Superbooked?
1: So Superbooked is a service to help people find work through their friends. Okay. So. The idea is that if you think about the work that you might do, or that I might do, or that you know any freelancer might do, a lot of it I would imagine comes from uh, a referral. It comes from somebody who used to work with you before, or somebody who knows about you from somewhere, and it's like, hey, right. I got you know I, I got this work you know lined up. Would you want to work on it with me? Um, and most job boards don't treat it that way. They separate sort of clients and. You know to separate supply and demand. Mm-hmm. So Superbook really takes a different perspective on that and assumes that the supply is the demand and the demand is the supply, right. um, and really uh, tries to facilitate c- good connections, passing work back and forth.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. So how does it uh, operate? So like, like how? Uh, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, so I, do I just sign up or do I need to be like? Ah, uh, gotcha. Is it like so a fine, like a no homers here. club? Like someone's gonna invite me and it is okay
1: <laughs> yeah so right now it's like we're trying to figure out how it scales so it's like still super early okay. um it's all invitation based only um yeah. so someone has to invite you otherwise i feel like uh, well a good bad scenario is the floodgates open and we can't handle the scale right. and also a bad bad scenario is we're like it's open to everyone and then nobody signs up so right. to yeah. pat our egos a little bit i think we're, we're keeping it a little bit close to the chest for now
0: right right yeah so it sounds like it has to be very fragile right now so Pretty good.
1: Yes. So, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So like, it just reminds me of uh, there's another group I belong to. I've belonged to like for 20, going on to close to 20 years, and it's just that uh, they call it hot, hot tubbing. Or like the, the the metaphor is that there was a hot tub that uh, everyone knew about. I'm not sure you know about this story or not, but like, is like I don't. Yeah. So so it's a hot tub that someone you know, on the property like that anyone could use it, right? As long as, and there was like a friend of a friend thing, and then eventually. Uh, some, uh, connections, you know, like, you no, know, like six degrees or whatever, uh, connections, uh, who didn't know the person who actually owned the hot tub, uh, you know, kind of trashed the hot tub. And so what he did was actually uh, change the lock number and uh, the combination. And so, uh, and it's called hot tubbing. Where we like, uh, in order to get access to the hot tub, you actually have to go back to the source, the owner of it, and, it and get, and get the, get the hot tub combination. And so the six degree person, you know, the person who's like six degrees from the owner, probably not gonna get a probably not going to bother to contact the owner right for that so but yep. yeah so yeah
1: i think that's the exact that's the exact premise <laughs>
0: okay cool. so i just really want to mention hot tub as many times as i could early on <laughs> in this exactly. interview it was like damn we're talking about hot tubs is that okay like yeah sweet you've done well <laughs> that's why i keep on doing podcasts for the little challenges <laughs> for myself but right. uh cool yeah so it sounds like a uh, great product i think it's really you know something to facilitate that kind of uh, relationship especially when everyone is remote a lot, you know remote working and we have, we have a lot of friends who are we don't see because yep. they don't live in town so yeah so um we only really see them during conferences apparently uh and so uh and actually i was talking to ari who we helped run artifact and we mentioned last time we saw yeah. saw you guys in, in austin so that was a pretty good time and so uh, yeah but yeah I was, I was like wow it's been that long cool but uh it's been
1: a long time yeah yeah <laughs> I think last we had hot dogs together <laughs> at Frank's.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, Frank's is always good. And mm-hmm. then um, and then she was te- seeing how like, um, uh, your wife uh, joined us uh, for our fact. Right. And so she was, uh, I'm not sure I could, t- should still, sorry, I don't know if it was, it's, I think it's okay now, Is this that uh, uh, you were expecting another child, but you hadn't announced right. it yet. And so she actually uh, ushered your, uh, your wife to the speaker uh, balcony, which is, you know, which is awesome. It's a Ritz Theater, Almo Draft House, and, and Alice. It's like one of my favorite movie theaters. Right. And so they have recliners on the top and the back in the speaker section. And so, and she was like, she, was, she made mental notes like, wow, she really appreciated the yeah. uh, the, the, the 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 plush uh, recliner chairs. And then you guys, you know, announced that you were having a. Another another baby's like oh okay I understand yeah so,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right yeah at artifact at artifact uh, Emily was pregnant with our second daughter who's Charlotte who's three now so oh wow that, uh, that sounds right
0: man three years it's been three years since then oh my gosh so that's right oh man crazy yeah time flies that's awesome cool how, how is your family doing
1: my family's doing great we just went to uh, San Francisco for a few days so we went for a long weekend uh, we got we were there Friday last Friday and we got back on Wednesday so we just. Visited a ton of playgrounds. I found a good excuse to go to the NBA finals (laughs) uh, and the big game. So it was it was a lot of fun.
0: So as you know, freelancers and even agencies, it seems that pricing our rates always seems to be a question of immense you know struggle and pain. You know, like is there like what ways can we make it easier for ourselves to do that?
1: Yeah. So I think one one of those ways is just practicing doing it. So as a society, we don't you know, America, as Americans, we don't talk about things like salaries or raises or things about money, you know, in general, at least I wasn't raised that way. And only recently are we starting to see companies talk about how much they pay people and people being willing to be transparent about that. So I think one of the first things is just comfort around talking about the topic, right? So I, I know when I started for freelancing, the most uncomfortable question was, what's your budget, right? So I could talk to any client about, well, what would you like and what features and how do you want the site to be? And do you have favorite sites that you like and then I'd be like and what's your budget? <laughs> right like I'd just try to speed through that question because it's awkward. Um, and I think that one of the things one of the first things that designers and agency owners and whoever can start to do is just get more comfortable talking about it. And you can start by talking to your friends or other agency owners or peers about the about that topic. Right? Try to find these low risk scenarios. Where you can talk about it more and then when you're in a, in a quote-unquote high-risk scenario maybe with a potential client It feels more comfortable and more natural to do it. And what I find is the more natural I am talking about it to a client it puts them at ease in, in talking about it But if I'm super awkward about it, they're gonna be super awkward about it, too
0: Well, um, in what ways is it uh, super awkward or super easy? Like what or like what ways can we make it super easy for people to to talk? To? Well, so
1: so a lot of times, you know, the the Standard answer to that question, well, what's your budget, um, right. is, is usually something like, well, you know, we're just shopping around and we want to know what you think of it. And and there's this game that happens there. And this is the game. right? The game is that I have a number in mind. So let's say that number is $10,000. And the client has a number in mind of what they want to pay. And let's say that number is, uh, you know, $5,000. Right. So if you ask the client, well, what, what do you want to pay? You know, and the client says $5,000, you know, if they're upfront about it, then you're going to be like, oh, that's, that's too low. Right. But, but let's say they had in their mind $20,000. And you say, what's your budget? And they say $20,000. And you go, I'll take it. That's probably a sign that you had a lower number. So the client is hoping that you come in at a lower number, and right. you're hoping that the client comes in at a higher number. And there's this weird like, guessing game that happens there that I just think is garbage. You know, I think that the more honest we are about each other, the better work we're going to do, right? Because why start off a project with a prospective client trying to fool them into something and they're trying to fool fool they're trying to hide something from you like that's not a good setup so as much as possible i try to encourage my clients or prospective clients you know, let's be honest from the start. Let's put all of our cards on the table. If you're not willing to do that, maybe that's a sign that we shouldn't work together. If you're if you're gonna hide some information from me, you know, then then that's probably not a good place of trust that we're coming from. And if we need to have a couple more conversations to get to the point where you trust me to you know, if you can't trust me with a budget number, how are you gonna trust me to do six weeks or six months of work with you? So I think I think that's a that, a big part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have been on both sides of the equation where like I've been the freelancer trying to land land a project and trying to do that song and dance you know of trying to like suss out the budget and then um trying to see if i can actually like you know squeeze out my time and resources so i can give them like a really good proposal and then as a as someone as a like a person who's you know doing a request for proposals it's, it's always been the other you know you know i've also been like one, a couple times I have like, said, okay, well, I'm going to try this way. I'm just going to tell them what my budget is up front and then see what happens. And then I've also like, experimented with saying, like, I'm not going to tell you what my budget is up front and just see what see what happens. And it's... Uh, and I haven't had amazing success either way. You know, it's been like... <laughs> it's just, just like- yeah, and so it, just, it kind of just... It says, uh, you know, I'm all for... That just makes me want, A, want to try more transparency, uh, but also just makes me realize like each project is different and it's... And it's kind of miraculously. I think it's a kind of a miracle, small miracle, sometimes when you know, um, you know, projects just work very, very well. You now there is always something yeah. that's going to go wrong and so on. Like that so, like, you know, I kind of equate that to like movies. You know, in the Hollywood, like, you know, you can get like a Spielberg, you can get a really great screenwriter, you get really great actors, but it doesn't mean people are going to want to see the movie. You know, it's right. you know, or critics to want to like uh, give it or a critics are going to get a good reviews. It just you, even though you put great teams in front of it, it doesn't really matter. But uh, but yeah, like but right about the budget, just like it just doesn't seem. It is like the song and dance, you know, kind of like going back and forth, trying to hide, yeah. hide it. And I, I've I've never found a really good way of doing it. I found ways. Well, I found ways where people like companies do it their way, right? And that's not that. It's good or bad, but yeah.
1: Right. So w- one trick that I found is is on the on the vendor side mm-hmm. is that. And I think a lot of this relates to transparency. So sometimes a client just doesn't know. And I would prefer for them to say, I don't know, rather than to give me like a a facade of an answer of, oh, well, you know, we're just shopping around. Like sometimes that's code for I don't know. Sometimes it's we want to hide this from you. So I would prefer if a client and I I try to coax them into saying like, you know, if you don't know what your budget is, that's fine. I can help you figure that out. Right. That's a way that I can add value there. Um, And I prefer for them to say, well, we actually don't know what this costs. You know, I think what they're afraid of, and rightly so, is that they're afraid of being taken advantage of. Right? They're afraid if they say, well, I don't know, I'm like, oh, the rate's going up now. Now I can take them for all they're worth. And and so I hear that concern. I think that's a that is a major concern. So one of the things that I actually start to 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 do with clients is I try to get like a gut check on that. So one of the, the trick questions that I use is, uh, you know, do you have a budget? You know, there is there something is there something that you want to spend or how much do you want to spend on this? And they'll say, Well, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not sure. And I'll go, all right, well, you know, if I were to say, you know, we could spend uh, Two thousand dollars, or twenty thousand dollars, or two hundred thousand dollars on this project. Which, which one do you think would be closer? And they would go, "Oh, we definitely don't want to spend two hundred thousand dollars on this project." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Like, so I mean, like maybe closer to the hundred thousand dollar range. You're like, well, no, that might be a little bit high. I'm like, okay, so if we stick in like fifty to seventy k range, would be, yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty good. All right, there you go. You got your budget. You know, so one of the ways that I try to get them to react is like give them these really polar opposites. You know, and they'll, and they'll usually say, if you, it'll usually be a Goldilocks thing. It's like, yeah, you know, no, too, too hot, too cold, eh, right in the middle. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Um, and so I think that's one way that you can kind of get around that budget question. Because if you ask straight out, they'll be like, eh, I don't know. But if you say, well, you know, react to, to some of these things, sometimes you'll get a, a bit of a, a bite on that.
0: Right. Cool. Yeah, that, I think that's great. Like that hot or like too hot or too warm. That's just, exactly that's a great idea. So, like that. So people kind of see a face where they're not giving you, uh, giving you an exact number. that's pretty good exactly cool
1: you know the the other thing around it too is and this is something that i'm i'm doing more and more as i feel more comfortable around pricing so it's not a strategy that i would recommend to someone who just doesn't feel like they have a grasp of it i think if they you know build up to that but one of the things that i'm doing now is i just don't even ask about budget um and the thing that i try to do is i try to understand what is valuable to the client and um and if they volunteer a budget, great. If not, I'm going to propose a budget to them. You know, I'm going to say this is what I think I can do it for because I, I think that there's a there's this fallacy or this myth that exists in in our industry that a website has a cost and everyone everybody who makes a website understands what that cost is. You know, and that's not true. You know, it's like it's like saying, well, what's the cost of a dirty towel? You know, what's the price of a dirty towel? And you're like, oh, I would barely pay like a dollar for a dirty towel. Yeah, but if Michael Jordan sweat on that towel, right? Like people are paying a million dollars for that towel, so there is no cost of it. it like the ver all the variables change it. And so the same thing is true for a website. What's the cost of a website? You know, some people would say ten thousand dollars. Some people would say a million dollars. Well, it depends what that website does and who it's for and who's making it and when they're making it. Like all the variables change that stuff. Right. So. So what I try to do is I just try to ask a client, like, what what is important to you? Mm -hmm. And then I will come, I will put together, I'm the professional, I'll put together a bunch of options for you that show you what, what I would do it for, what my company would do it for. That doesn't mean that's what another company would do it for. You know, you can shop it around if you want to. That's fine. And what I try to avoid is an apples to apples comparison, because what I want to point out is here's how my shop is better than all the other shops. Here's why you want to go with us. And if you end up paying twice as much, or four times as much, or eight times as much, if you believe that it's worth it, great. Then then we're going to be a good a good team for you. If you don't believe it's worth it, that's okay. That's called capitalism.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it reminds me that kind of goes into like value pricing, right? In terms yeah. of yeah, because we had we talked to Jonathan Stark because he has a you know kind of yeah a, he's great yeah um, you know. Uh, a business, I guess, a college industry, but uh, he, he talks about value pricing a lot. And one of the things he talks about is when you do talk to a potential client is to ask them, you know, I'll turn the tables of like, why are you talking to me? Like, what am I bringing a, a value uh, to this? And then, uh, then I think if, uh, you know, just using those questions to figure out what do they value out of the project by saying like, why are you bringing me in? Like, what problems can I solve? And that way you, you get the one or two or three major pain points that they're having um and then that way because and then when and then that way you could uh suss out the uh the value add that you're bringing right and that goes into um you know one that makes your like your proposal more on target with what what they want to have accomplished uh which is like easier than mind reading <laughs> i find <laughs> with a lot of clients yeah. like yeah we want to website, like okay what do you want it to do and so um but also in terms of uh, uh, going uh, value pricing is, is a totally different concept. We're like, it's not hourly, right? So like we haven't even talked about hourly, hourly rates yet. And it sure. just seems that, um, uh, you know, people are like, well, like, you know, it's like eternal question. is like, like, how much should I rate per hour? And it just, uh, you know, I have an hourly rate that I use for small projects, but uh, for small side projects, but I just I don't even use that most of the time, you know, just because I just find that, uh, one, I find it so depressing. <laughs> so, because because uh, uh, you, you talk about in your book about hourly pricing, uh, hourly pricing because like you uh, talk about like uh, hourly pricing is also like how much it takes. You know, wh- I want not talk about, like how you figure out like I want you to talk about hourly pricing, but like for me, it's uh, you know you have to like figure out what salary you want, and then you go back and you, you go back and like do the math and figure out how much uh, you know time it would take for that. But then also you talk about what you're missing out on. In terms of working on one hour of this, of this project, like you know, I could go to a park with my kids exactly. for an hour, like, or I could talk work on this project for an hour. Like, what what what's the value there? So, um, so w- is that kind of like your thoughts about Arlene Price? I don't, I'm afraid to put answer the question for you, but uh,
1: <laughs> no, no, that's good. I, I can I can expand on that. So be- before I do that, I want to go back to what you're talking about with Jonathan. Like, mm-hmm. Jonathan, take what what I love about the stuff that he writes is that he takes it even further. It's not just why do you want to hire me. He he actually suggests talk your client out of hiring you right like try to make them not hire you try to ask them like well if you didn't go with me what what would happen you know who's the who's the next best competitor you know who would you go with otherwise you know tell me about that um and those are all ways to get to the conversation of what do they value and for a you know stereotypical starving artist designer where you're like well i'm just like i don't want to talk anybody out of hiring me that's a scary proposition um but it really makes you come to terms. It's sort of a forcing function to make you come to terms with what value actually do I bring? Like if I'm just another web designer like anybody else, I don't have any I don't have a leg like to stand on. I can't compete. But if there's something special that I have, some unfair advantage that I have, some knowledge of an industry, or you know, I worked with craft CMS so much that I know more about it than the common web developer, or I, you know, I have this design approach that, I, that is battle-tested that nobody else can do, those are things that are valuable to clients you know, and, and because they help them get to particular outcomes. So how does that relate to, to hourly pricing is that there's no direct correlation between the time you put in and an outcome that a client wants. Um, the, the quintessential example is the, you know, nobody wants to buy a drill. They want to buy a hole in the wall, <laughs> you know, like, so, so it doesn't matter how much a drill costs. It matters how, how much do they want that hole in the wall? If you want a particular kind of hole, you'll probably spend a little bit more for a drill that will do that. If you, if it's just any kind of hole or, you know, whatever, I can do it myself, you know, you can probably make do with a screwdriver. Um, so this, the same thing kind of applies to web designer, app designer, any service business, which is what does the client want? And then you as the professional can figure out how to backfill the time. doesn't matter if it takes you an hour or two weeks or three weeks or seven weeks or whatever. That's your business. That should have nothing to do with the client. The client shouldn't be penalized or rewarded for the time that it takes you to do it. You should be. So all of that stuff is like is is. You know, is your back of the napkin kind of kind of stuff. And so, from an hourly rate perspective, you know, one of the things that I, I've I've found, and I think people that have been doing it for a while have found, is very quickly if you're good, you outgrow your hourly rate, because there is a ceiling of what people will pay for an hourly rate. Because the way the pricing psychology works is that people compare things that are abstract to things that they know are real. So when they think about an hourly rate, nobody can think about well, two hundred sixty-four dollars an hour. So where do they compare it to? Well, that's about what I pay my lawyer. Are you as valuable to me as my lawyer? Are are you saving me from going to jail? Probably not. So I don't want to pay you as much as I pay my lawyer. So any hourly rate, people can compare you easily to someone else making that hourly rate. You know, if you're if if you are charging $20 an hour, they're like, yeah, that's like slightly better than somebody working retail. Yeah, that makes sense for me for a web design. But if you're making them a if you're designing an e-commerce site that makes them millions and millions of dollars. You know, right, like, what hourly rate can you set to justify that? Eight hundred, a thousand dollars an hour, twelve hundred dollars an hour. Who's going to agree to pay that on paper? And yet, with a lot of like, my my average hourly rate right now, which which changes, if I were to calculate, well, how much money did I make and how much time has, have I put in? My hourly rate's eleven $1, hundred bucks an hour, but I can't say that to a client, you know, because they would never agree to that. But if I say, well, what would you like? And they say this, and I go, okay, if if I give you that, is that, is that worth a hundred thousand bucks? Like yeah, absolutely. I'm like, does it? Care, do you care how long I, I take? No, I don't care. We just gotta launch before Halloween, you know, because that's our busy season or whatever. All right, cool. And then I gotta figure out. Well, can I do it in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or eight weeks or you know, that that's a project management thing. And most people use price as a project management tool where they they don't need to. Like the, the, the two can be separate. Anyway, I just rambled on about a bunch of stuff. <laughs> oh no, that's
0: that's great. Yeah, and also I feel like, you know, wh- what are your thoughts of like if you're just starting out? Uh, you know, use the hourly rate and then as you get more and more comfortable, you kind of graduate into value pricing. Is that yeah that sounds that's a
1: that's a great point. So one of the things that I think often gets lost in pricing conversations, especially if you talk to people who are talking about pricing a lot, they like I I know I'm guilty of this. I forget that some like some people need to start at the basic, you know, start with the basics. And the basics are and, and I don't feel like I hear people say this enough, is that any pricing model that you have, if you don't understand it, you won't do it well. So if you don't understand value pricing, even if you believe in it, but you don't understand it, you might not do it well. So start with a pricing model that you understand. So if, and one of the big attractions to hourly pricing is that it's easy, almost anyone can understand it. If you can do simple multiplication, you can do hourly pricing. So if you get that, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. I think that good pricing should make you profitable and it should make your client profitable. If you're profitable, you know, and, this, and like value pricing proponents would would hate, would hate this, you know, this line of thinking. But I think if you're profitable, great. Don't change anything. Like if you're doing hourly pricing and you're and you're being profitable, that's awesome. I know a bunch of people who you know started by doing fixed pricing or value pricing, which are two separate things, and just weren't able to do it because they didn't understand it. And then when they moved to hourly pricing, they understood that and that made their shops or their, their businesses profitable. And I think that that's a great thing. You know, if, if hourly pricing makes you profitable, great. But I also think that there's a high likelihood that hourly pricing very quickly gets you into a space where you're not profitable or you're not as profitable as you could be. And I think that's the time where you start to go look at some other things. Well, what else? What other options are out there? Cost plus is out there. Value pricing is out there. Penetration pricing. Like, oh, There are different pricing techniques. Um, and so I think that profitability is is the thing that you're in, in search of. And however you can be profitable, you know do the work to understand that methodology so that you can be profitable. And I think that that you can outgrow, you know what I've seen is is people outgrow. I've, i I outgrow hourly pricing really quickly. And then I was like, well, now what? Now what do I do? You know and then that's the point where like people don't know what to do because they they're not exposed to other methodologies or other ways of thinking.
0: Mm. Well you mentioned cost plus as a strategy or is a? as a way? Is that right that there? What is cost plus?
1: So cost plus is a pretty simple thing. It's like almost as simple as hourly pricing. Mm. Um, and that's why a lot of people, a lot of agencies use it. So cost plus basically says, calculate your cost for any given amount of time. So if I run an agency, how much is my agency cost per hour? If I have two people on a project, how much am I paying them per hour? Right. So if they're on salary, maybe I'm paying them $20 per hour if I calculate it down per hour. And you don't want to charge your client $20 per hour, right? Because you want to make a margin off of that. That's where profit comes from. You know, in that scenario, that's where you're able to grow your agency and do do more things. So you don't charge your client $20 an hour. You add a little bit of margin. You plus that cost, right? So you say, well, instead of $20 an hour, I'm going to put a 100% margin on that and charge them $40 an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And so $40 an hour becomes the price that you charge your client. And that $40 an hour comes from a cost plus methodology. It's what is your cost? Plus a little bit extra, and that's what you end up billing.
0: Yeah, and then I I want to switch gears a little bit and talk talk, and talk about different things. Like uh, can this can these mythologies or not mythologies like uh, mythology? Some would agree with you. Not these myths about (laughs) Uh,
1: things.
0: So people who are listening, you know, who you know aren't freelancers anymore, but like they work for companies. uh, You know, um, like can they be applied to salary negotiations and? And, um, and your thoughts on, on that
1: Yeah, absolutely. so it's it, it's a tough one, right because it is one negotiation process that dictates technically the rest of your career at that company. Right. so it's tougher right because it's, it''s it's different than a project-based methodology that an agency would go through in that you're constantly negotiating these six weeks or six months or chunks. for a salary negotiation it's a little bit more pressure because you got to get it right in that first negotiation but you can use the same kind of methodology so you described one which was how much money do i want to make and uh and what does that break down to per hour so you can reverse that if you if you're a freelancer and you're getting a job at somewhere else you're like well i'm charging you know 100 bucks an hour an hour i'm charging 20 bucks an hour an hour whatever your rate is and i want to make a little bit more than i did as a freelancer so if you are charging 20 bucks an hour now okay Assume you're charging 40 bucks an hour and then multiply that by the number of hours you'd be working by the number of weeks and months you'd be working, and that gets you to a good salary. Mm. Uh, it's a little fudgy because you got to take into account the fact that your employer might be paying you benefits or might be paying, you know, right. and, and will be paying your taxes depending on your your status there. So it gets a little bit tough, but that's one way you could apply kind of an hourly pricing methodology there. Another one though is which is very rare. I've never I've never heard of anyone doing this, but a way that you could apply value pricing to a salary negotiation is you could basically say, "Here is how much money I'm going to make the company over the next two years, hmm. and I'd like to base my salary off of that." Now that is a crazy negotiation, yeah. but it would work. You know, if if you can prove that, if you can say, you know, I'm going to make this company, you know, an extra million dollars with my work next year, um, then you can command a very high salary, right? For for the company to make an extra mil- million dollars of revenue they'll pay a $200,000 salary you know like that's a great yield that's a great investment <laughs> you know who so but the the challenge there is that as the as the resource you have to be able to prove that and who who is confident enough to say yeah i'll make this company a million dollars next year i'm confident i can prove that and you know and here's a contingency if i don't right because now what you're doing is you're asking the company to take a lot of risk so like the part of let me side you know take a tangent for a minute part of the the premise of value pricing is that is that profit comes from risk, right? The more risk you incur, the more ability for profit you have, the more opportunity for profit you have. So in that scenario, you can't just say to your employer, oh, pay me, pay me $200,000 because I'm going to make a million dollars next year for you. And then if you don't, you're like, oh, sorry, I messed up. <laughs> like, your employer takes all the risk in that scenario. So w- where are they winning? So in order to negotiate in that kind of way, you have to be able to say, and here's how I'm going to share the risk. I'd like to get paid on a commission, commission basis, right? That's essentially what, it, what a commission structure is. It's a value paid structure. This is what I'm going to provide, and I'm going to get a cut of that. So you can totally do it. It's just less common because people don't take the time to think about how much value they can actually provide and even quantify that. That's very difficult to do.
0: Right. And also, it takes, you know, I don't think you're going to get someone doing that who's a, a fresh freelancer, let's say, in the market. It's going to take someone who actually, one, uh, understands the market that they're working in understands the their uh value which is like translates as a little bit of confidence in their skill set uh also understands who they're talking to in terms of their budget uh their performance as a company i would assume right uh and just understands you know what they're going for it just i think it is it's uh it takes someone who actually is knowledgeable and can approach i think it totally can be done but it's I, it's not right for for every industry, but I can see that right for some jobs in our, our industry. Well, that that's pretty good. So, well,
1: yeah. Totally. And, and a lot of you know a lot of employees don't value price in their salary negotiation. It's actually the other way around, but like where the company will say, you know, a profit sharing plan is a form of value pricing. You know, right. a, a performance bonus is a form of value pricing. So it's basically the the agency or the company saying, you know, if we do well this year, we're gonna we're gonna share the the bounty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a form of saying, if we are valuable to our clients, we'll share that wealth. Um, most employees, though, don't take it on themselves to say, "Cool, let me let me do that on my end too."
0: Yeah, along with dealing with clients, I think the whole like salary negotiating thing is always very interesting with me because I just you know I, you know, I try to research as much as I can and find out what what I'm worth. But I feel like uh, just just my woe, my story whoa is that uh, I have a lot of different skill sets, but uh, but I can't just be placed in one. I, I'm a programmer type person. Like, no, I'm not. Right. You know, I'm not. I, I can manage a project, but I'm not a project manager. I can you know code a website, but I'm not really, you know, you know a CSS you know only person. I do all sorts of things. So it's like, so, so re- it's really hard for me to like, and that's where like my lack of confidence comes in. It's like okay. I don't know what my worth is, and then, um, and then my window of talking to companies uh, with the skill set is like kind of finite i would say like in terms of where i can go and be like ultimately be like really happy with and so so that's where i find it but if if you aren't someone like me which is great uh <laughs> it was just uh where you are just like hey i'm a programmer and i have the skill set i can specialize in that i think that's that's really good Whereas like if you're a journalist you might have uh i think you might have a difficult way of doing that, that whole like you no know, value pricing thing with your salary Yep. So.
1: Yep. I mean, one one of the things it's it's an important point that you bring up, which is that you know our industry is ripe with uh, imposter syndrome, right? Because in in our work, it's very easy to do something that, be, that gets very visible, and you get a lot of notoriety for it, and immediately you go, "Wait a minute, should I be attracting this amount of attention?" It, uh, right? And 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 all this insecurity creeps in, and imposter syndrome, and you know, which is the antithesis of value pricing, because in a value pricing scenario, you have to be able to say here is what it's worth, right? Here is what my work is worth. And it is, it, and it is, you know, and you have to be confident about that. And so at some point, those two things are at odds. And and so, you know, that's, that's a tough thing is, is at some point you have to be able to say, this is the value that I bring. So one of the things that I've seen a lot, which I think is great advice is for agencies, um, that the person who is going to be doing the work is not the person pricing the work. Hmm. Uh, and that a lot of agencies, or, or sorry, a handful of agencies that do value pricing you know, at a large scale, they have what's called a value council. Where they, you know, the the maybe the COO or maybe the GM or maybe a project manager or a product manager will come up with a quote, you know, that's a value price quote, but they'll run that by the value council, people who are not involved in doing the work. And most often, or what what tends to happen, which which is probably mm. an obvious an obvious thing, is the value council goes, it's too low, mm. and it's because there's all this imposter syndrome and insecurity baked into a price because people don't want to value them. So they don't like. There's this the the. There's this opposite thing of like feeling like, well, there's too much bravado in here. If, I, if I'm too forward about or too confident that I'm arrogant, you know, and we're going to lose on our arrogance um, and having somebody objective or whether, and like a value counsel that you have or even a friend, you know, if you're a freelancer, just a friend that you're just like, hey, can you look over this quote for me? Like, and nine times out of 10, your friend will be like, yeah, it seems too low to me. I think you, you should bump it up. You know, I think you should bump up your hourly rate, $10, you know, on this one. And, and like, that is a form of value price. So you you can actually value price an hourly rate, which is kind of a weird concept. But I think having somebody else, having an external objective party, be able to kind of look into that for you and help you with that, I think helps to get rid of the, like, I don't have to bear this burden on my own. I don't have to like put myself out there because I have somebody saying objectively, no, 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 you are worth this. Right? Yeah. Like that, that's, I think that's a, a very helpful thing. So it, that works in a salary negotiation where, you know, just getting some advice from somebody you trust to say to you, no, I think you should ask for a little bit more yeah. or a price from a client, you know, for a project. I think that, that's a, a really helpful tool.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's also good. Just have a good support network of your friends and colleagues. And, uh, you know, and it is kind of taboo still a little bit you know, in American culture to, to ask that. But I think if you can break down those walls and say, hey, what do you think I'd be worth uh, with your friend, which is like a really big, important conversation to have, which means like yeah. you really trust someone, like, oh my gosh, um, to say what you're worth. And then, um, and then if you're still friends, that's great after we say that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but I like to like so the value council like that's a really uh, new concept for me. Like how like how does that work in this scenario? Like so if you know how does that work in relationship to the a company structure? Like who is it external? The value council external to the company, or they they just have people inside the company that are on the value council? And I don't know. it just seems like a that's a really interesting idea. I'd never never heard of that before. I don't think
1: so i've heard a couple of different permutations of that idea so one idea is let's say you work in a company that has a, a, an autonomous team structure right so your team you know you're an agency you're a service provider your team gets an inquiry from a client you price it another like your value counsel could be just another team right so like it could be your peers but it could just be a parallel uh, a parallel team to yours, where you can just say, "Hey, could you look over this as peers?" and they can objectively look at it because they don't know the client, they don't know what your PL is, they don't know if, how much you can win or lose that project. But they can say kind of objectively that. So that's one form of it. It's kind of this peer review thing. Another form of it is like the advisory board sometimes can double. You know, the advisory board of the company can double as the value council, mm-hmm. or a handful of people from the advisory board can can be also seated on a separate. You know, a committee, like the, like a value council. And then the other is, uh, the other kind of form that I've heard is a completely separate entity, right? Where it's like, they're not employees of the company, they're not compensated by the company, that it could be actually like another firm that you just hire, right? Like the, that, that I've heard of a handful of firms that actually like, they act as outsourced value councils. I don't know how well they're doing, you know, but, uh, but like having a service like that, I think is, it could be useful at times.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think, yeah, I like to, the- that sounds like a great, great idea. All that
1: like. let, let me add one more to that. So, like, I, I'm part of this, uh, of a few of these too. I'm lucky to be to be a part of these. But like, a Slack channel with you know a bunch of other agency owners, where if I'm writing a proposal, I can drop my proposal. Like other agency owners I trust, drop my proposal in there and say, hey, can somebody take a look at this and just gut check me on on how I'm doing here? Yeah. You know, and and uh, and so that's a good thing. And there's also you know, as, as you know, there's like whole conferences dedicated to this. Like Owner Summit is one. that's right. like a conference for, for agency owners, there's a base camp set up. There's a community there. You can always drop a, a thing in there and say, Hey, we're, you know, we're pitching this thing. You know, I'm not sure where we're landed on price. Can somebody give me kind of a, a gut check on it? So I think it could be very informal and it could be, you know, you could have a value council, you know, <laughs> which right. you're paying and all that stuff, or you could just have a handful of trusted people that you could, you could get a gut check from.
0: Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, I think I do want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, and uh, I flagged this earlier, but uh, we, we've kind of like moved on from that. but I just want to go back to it, like the discovery phase. And so, uh, we talking about, um, we talked a little bit about, uh, trying to f- determine a budget from a client and, and do that. And so, and we talked, we had talked to Dan Brown, in a previous episode about, uh, this, this discovery phase, cause he has a great book, uh, from a book, book part. And so, uh, which is really great cause as a, when I was a freelancer and, uh and also when i worked at the small agencies back back in the day you know to ask a discovery phase for a client just seemed like like are they really gonna go buy that because it seems kind of weird like that's kinda, it's so important but it just feels like i don't know sometimes you know other side of the of the coins like why am i going to hire you to figure out what i need to do when i know i need a website you know that's kind of like kind of right. crazy but you know discovery phase is really <laughs> important and so i just want to know uh your experience with discovery phases um you know have you had uh uh, uh, trying to get a proposal and it's, it's morphed into a uh, discovery phase t- type of scenario. Like, and then, and then what's your experience with that?
1: Yeah. So I have some maybe unpopular answers about that, okay. but uh, I'll share my experience. Um, I think that the main reason that discovery phases work is because it's pricing psychology. Mm. It's much easier to get somebody to agree to a $10,000 two week engagement than it is to get them to bite on a $150,000 website redesign. Right. And then there, and there's this whole, Like there's a ton of science that says, once you get your foot in the door, it's way, you're way more likely to convert that small discovery phase into a larger project and parlay it into one rather than like out of the gate, they don't know you, you pitch on something and you land a half a million dollar gig. So I I think like from a pricing psychology standpoint, it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Um, I, I don't do a lot of those. And the reason for that is because I'm fortunate to have qualified leads, right? A discovery phase is a way to convert an unqualified lead into a qualified one. They don't trust you. You don't trust them yet. Let's do a little thing together. Let's test it out. Um, and, and so that like I'm, I'm lucky that a lot of the leads that come into Super Friendly are ones where, where people are going, we love Super Friendly. We've heard of the work. We saw this piece of work somewhere else. We want something like it. And, and it, and it kind of qualifies it out of the gate. Um, and I'm not pitching against 50 other vendors. I might be pitching against three or five or, you know, some small number. So it already comes in a little bit qualified. Okay. And and so what a lot of agencies will do, especially if they if they work hourly or if they're cost plus, which a lot of them are, is they can't afford to do free discovery. Right. They can't like what they want to do is they want to start the meter as soon as the cl- as soon as they can. Right. All right. We're going to start the meter and we're going to get paid for everything that we say to you. And the reason for that is because their margins are super thin. Like, if you're making a 10% or a 15% margin on a project, if you go over by two weeks, you've blown your margin. Mm-hmm. So, so what agencies will try to do is they'll try to start the clock running. And hourly firms, firms that bill hourly, are notorious for this, right? That right. as soon as you pick up the phone and say, hey, we'd like to do some work together. They're like, cool, let's start right now, right? Because they want to bill for every single hour that they're talking on the phone um, because the margins are so thin. What I found is that through doing value pricing, my margins are huge, you know, there are some projects where, sure, I've got 10% margins and, and 15% margins, but I have other projects that are 50 or 80 or 100% margin, on, you know, on, on the project. Uh, and, and so with that, I can afford to do a free discovery. I can afford to get on a, a phone call with a client three times, four times before I even write a proposal. You know, if I'm on the, a phone, if I'm on, I'm on the phone with a client once, I probably haven't talked to them enough to know what, what they need. Right. You know, I don't know what happens if they don't do this project. I don't know what keeps them up. And I don't know what their hopes and dreams are. I don't know what they're like. Those are not conversations that happen the first time around. And so I need two or three or four phone calls, you know, or even in-person meetings to do that. And so what I find is I I do a lot of discovery just on the house. You know, let me just. Talk to you for a while. I'll get on the phone with you for an hour, prospective client. and We'll just talk about what you need and why, and what happens if you don't get it, and why it's important to do it now. Like all the things that you would do in a discovery process or in a research phase, mm-hmm. so that I can write a tailored, really great proposal that is value priced. that gets me 100% margin on the project because if I land that, then I've made up the the time that I've you know that I've spent on the on the discovery anyway. You know, like I'm, I'm not doing that for free. But yeah, ha- but it's a gamble, right? It's again, it's that risk. I'm taking a larger risk to get a larger reward. Right. If you don't want to, if you want to take a smaller risk, don't do that. You know, take a take a take a, a five thousand, ten thousand dollar discovery project that you can are likely to parlay into a larger uh, a larger engagement.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I like that. Just talking to the client more because I feel like when I was running uh, an agency, um, I always tried to have that those conversations w- with the potential client more and more. In that way. Um, you because know, that way you could actually know that uh and i know i would have a good chance to win when their conversations i was having were different than the ones uh than the points in the rfp because then All i because right. like, then i was like oh now i know because like everyone's answering this rfp but i'm actually answering questions that they really want that one answered uh in, in my conversation so yeah that's always good so yeah i guess the conversations are always good to have <laughs>
1: Yeah. Another plug for in a book apart book is Mike Montero's design. It's a job. uh, And you're my favorite client. Those are great books. And part of what Mike says in those books is that no client was was went to school to be a client. Right. right? They don't know how to be a client. So I can't expect that what they write in an RFP is is good and useful. Right. You know, because they don't know how to do it. This is probably the first time they've ever done it. Right. And so unless they're professional RFP writers. You know they don't know what to put in an RFP, so I'm the professional in that scenario. I should ask the questions that are relevant to what they actually need. Right. You know, because I know I've I've made thousands of websites, and they may be working on their first. Right. So I know I know more about this than they do. My job is to kind of hold their hands and kind of lead them through that stuff. Right. Um, and so you know, so that's why I find it like actually useful and fun to just get on the phone with them for a couple of times and really, you know, really find out about what, what they need and what they want and what I can deliver. I, my proposals are, you know, sometimes 20, 30, 40, 50 pages of prose, <laughs> you know, it's like they're long proposals. And, you know, I, I sort of balk at the, you know, one page proposal with just a one liner of what you're going to do. I'm like, so you're asking a client to spend a hundred thousand dollars on you with one lot, one sentence. Like that's pretty bold, yeah. you know, like I, I want to be able to, show them that i understand the problem and maybe 50 pages is overkill you know sometimes <laughs> it is but i also want to say like here's what i understand like let, let me let me prove to you that i i know the problem as well as you do if not better than you do and and we'll take it from here right you can trust us to be able to to do something that is going to make you not worry this is the white glove service that you're going to get and you're going to pay for the white glove service you know so i feel like that's a that's kind of a those things go naturally together
0: cool awesome that's great i think this is a good uh stopping point so um but yeah, so uh, how can people find me on the internet and uh, uh, buy your book and everything like that? So. Uh,
1: Twitter is probably the best way. So I'm Dan Mall at, on Twitter, D-A-N-M-A-L-L. Uh, I keep DMs open. It's usually the best way to to get me, just DM me. Um, if you email me, I probably won't get to it <laughs> at this point. Um, so Twitter DM is usually good. Uh, my book is called Pricing Design. It's on, it's published by A Book Apart. It's ebook only, so it's an A Book Apart brief, so there's no physical copy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's six, actually, I don't even know how much the price of my book is. It's like six bucks, I think. It's more, um, so, well worth the cost. Yes, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so yeah, that's where you can find the book.
0: Cool, awesome, well, I appreciate you being on the show today. That's great.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me.